Well, Happy New Year to you and to your family. Welcome to those who are joining us online. Listen, I, I, don't, I didn't think I would ever say this, but I am thankful for technology because for those who are joining us online, since you can't be with us today, we're glad that we can be with you through technology. And uh, I trust that we, we all have a self, a, a safe, healthy, and just a, a new year filled with God. May each and every one of you be found exactly in the middle of God's will for your life. Jesus said, for my father's house will be called a house of, for a house of, a house of, partly, right? Because in Matthew's account and in Luke's account, towards the end of the ministry of Jesus, when he rode into Jerusalem and went into the temple and saw that they have made it into a den of thieves. It says there that my father's house will be called a house of prayer. Taken from Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7. But Isaiah chapter 54 verse 7 actually says, as Mark accounts has it, in Mark's account, he says, for my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And let us never forget that he is a God of all people. Today we're going to emphasize prayer. And I was thinking, did you know it was the prayer of Moses that saved the Israelites? It was the prayer of Moses that saved the Israelites. In Exodus chapter 32, verse 11. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. And after he had been up there for a while, the Israelites got a little restless. And they're not coming back. And before you know it, they're throwing in all their gold and, and gold rings and earrings into a fire. And out comes this golden calf. And they're dancing around it. And they're singing. And God's anger is burning. These stiff-necked people. They don't get it. And God was going to destroy them and told Moses that they would make him into a great nation. But then we read these words. But Moses sought the favor of God. And it was through Moses interceding on behalf of the Israelites that God did not wipe them out. Next week, we're going to be starting a series on the life of Elijah and taking a look at his ridiculous commitment and his ridiculous faith and his ridiculous provisions and, and, and his ridiculous recovery. It's, it's, it's really a fascinating series. But in, Second King, in 1 Kings chapter 4, we read how it was the prayer of Elisha that raised one back to life. In Acts chapter 12, we read about how Herod, King Herod, had put to death James, the brother of John, and how it pleased the Jews. And he also had Peter arrested. 
and waiting for over Passover the past, he was going to bring Peter to trial. But there in Scripture we read, But the church was earnestly praying for him. And if you know the story, miraculously an angel appears and Peter is miraculously is, is, escapes from prison because the church was praying. And what about the 120 who were gathered in the upper room for 10 days before Pentecost they were praying and on the day of Pentecost we read in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000 people were saved committed their life to Jesus Christ. That reminds me of what Andrew Murray one of the church leaders in South Africa many years ago, probably a century now, wrote this. The man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelism in history. Whoa! Missions starts with Christians praying. But now I know what some of you are thinking or some of you feel. You feel that, well, prayer is okay when I'm in trouble, when I need something. But really praying is, is left up to those <clears throat> super spiritual people. Did you know that prayer is not one of the spiritual gifts? Rather, it's a personal discipline. Prayer is a personal discipline that every believer should discipline themselves to pray. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. <laughs> I'd rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Three words this morning. Posture, persistence, and petitions. Posture, persistence, and petitions. And we're going to take a look at three men from the Old Testament who modeled these three things. First, I want to talk about Joshua. Joshua was a great man of faith. He wasn't one of those who wanted to go back to Egypt to the flesh pots. His desire was to enter the promised land. And Joshua was a great man of prayer. Let me set the, let me set the scene for you. Joshua has led. Moses is now deceased. Joshua takes over and leads the children of Israel into the promised land. A land that was inhabited, but a land that God gave them. Now they were to drive out the inhabitants. We pick up here in Joshua chapter 5. Now, when Joshua was nearing Jericho. Jericho was a fortified city. A city built around walls. And as he was nearing Jericho, he could not help but see the fortified city. Knowing that God gave them the land, 
knowing that he would have to capture Jericho. How in the world is he going to do it? So it says, he looked up. I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help, because my help cometh from the Lord. And I interpret this, as he neared Jericho and he saw the fortified city, he looked up for wisdom and help. God, you brought us this far. How in the world can we capture this fortified city? And as he looked up, he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for the Mets or the Yankees? And God says, Neither. Are you for the Jets or the Giants? And God gave him a curveball and said, No, I'm for the Eagles. No, neither. Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have come. Now, here's something I wrestled with for many years. Why pray? You ever wonder that? Why pray? Especially when you read in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, your father knows what you need even before you pray. So if my father knows what I need even before I pray, why should I pray? Why did he look up for help? Maybe it's because if the Lord knows what we need even before we pray, Maybe he told us to pray because he knew it was the most important thing we needed in life. Because a lot of times we associate prayer with just help and what we need. But how many know prayer is more than just asking God for help and asking God for something you need? Prayer is communion with God. And the thing our soul needs the most is communion with the one that created it. That's why we're to pray. He saw the person. Take a look. Let me, let me just say this. Aren't you glad that through the difficulties and the hardships and the trials of life, when you look up, you see the one who gives you the strength to go through those trials and difficulties. That's what prayer does. Prayer puts our focus on the one who gives us the strength. Now notice the posture he took. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant?" Listen, some people think that this was an angel of the Lord. No, this isn't an angel of the Lord. This is the Lord himself because we don't worship angels. So Joshua fell down. And the first thing I took note of was this. Notice his posture of pure humility. If my people who are called by my name, shall what? Humble themselves. Seek my face and 
turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. First and foremost, it's the posture of humility that when we stand before a holy God, I am nobody. I'm just your servant. What message does your servant have? We took notice of who he saw, the posture he took. Now, notice the action, but instead of action, I had to get a P word. Notice the practice he made, because this was truly a practice of his. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And it doesn't say that Joshua contemplated. It doesn't think, say that Joshua thought about it for a while. Because delayed obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Instead of contemplating. Instead of thinking. It says, and Joshua did so. Immediate obedience. You see, the, the consequences of disobedience far outweigh the consequences of obedience. And I trust that in 2022, that the words to an old hymn would still ring true this year. Trust. And obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but just to trust and obey. And Joshua did so. He looked up and he saw, he fell in humility, and he responded in obedience. His posture. Now I want to take a look at an Old Testament character by the name of Abraham. And let me set the scene. This is where God had prospered Abraham and his nephew Lot to the point where the men were fighting over fields and they had to separate their ways. And Abraham told Lot to go choose first. And Lot chose the fertile ground, the soil ground, and gave his uncle the, the hills country. And, and Lot there alongside Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, not a good place. And so visitors came to Abraham. And this is the point where Abraham was struggling with being made into a great nation. And the visitor said, yeah, by this next year when we visit, your wife will have a baby. And, and Abraham goes, hey, I'm dead. My wife is dead in, in our body. And Sarah just thinks it's ridiculous. She laughs. And he said, well, next year by this time we visit, you're going to have a baby. And Abraham's struggling with his faith a little bit. And he's told that Sodom and Gomorrah, because of their wickedness, God was going to destroy. And Abraham approached the Lord and said, listen to this. Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there be 50 righteous people in this city? 
Will you really sweep it away not spare, and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. You will, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Pretty bold. And the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I'll spare the, the whole place for their sake. It's okay, Abraham. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, there's the humility. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke up to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry with me. Too late, no. May the Lord not be angry with me, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? And he said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak once more. What if only 10 people can be found there? He answered, for the sake of them, I will not destroy it. And he says that Abraham walked home. What's this all about? Sounds like that nagging child who doesn't give up, who's just relentless. Why can't I? How come I can't? But mom, I want to. And this is what I thought about. His persistency in praying. It really showed his sincerity. It showed his heart. It showed a desire. Because he knew a loved one lived there. And he was concerned about Lot. And his wife. And their two kids, daughters. I don't know about you, but around Christmas time, you know, when I, my kids were little, if they asked for something, okay, they asked. If they didn't ask again, to me, it was like one of those things where out of sight, out of mind, they didn't really want it. It was just something that they thought about, wanted, and because they didn't ask a second time, I'm not going to waste my money. But when they keep asking over and over and over and over, you know there's a true desire that they really want it. And I wonder sometimes, maybe God, isn't, isn't it amazing sometimes when we pray just a simple prayer and it's answered right away, it's like, wow. But what about those times we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing seems to be happening? Could it be he's testing our desire, our heart, our sincerity? Praying, persistent praying, strengthens our faith. Come on, how many at the strike of 12, ringing in the new year, said, 
this year I'm going to lose weight and get in shape. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty, Oberia. <laughs> because working out burns calories and develops strength. And as I said, this is, this is a time where he is struck. Isn't it amazing how God gave him the faith to leave his home country and just go to a land where he didn't even know where he was going? What great faith is that? But then when they're told they're going to have a baby, when their bodies are basically done reproducing, they're struggling in their faith. And a year later, we know Isaac was born. And persistent praying supplies the answer. Now, this is what I always thought was so special. What was his last prayer? Lord, if there be ten righteous, will you destroy the city? And God says, no, I will not destroy it. How many know there were ten, less than ten righteous? Because God destroyed the city. But God answered the heart and the desire of Abraham's prayer by bringing out his nephew Lot, his wife, and family. Even it was against Lot's will. If you read about it, the, the, they drug him out. No, 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 they drug him out. Persistence in our prayer. God honors the desire in the heart, the sincerity behind us day after day praying. All right, we've taken a look at the posture. He looked up, he saw, he fell down. And he obeyed. We've taken a look at Abraham, who was very persistent like this nagging child, showing his sincerity, how it strengthened his faith, and how that persistence supplied an answer. Boy, now, let me show you, throw you a curveball. Yeah, I've heard of Joshua. Yeah, I've heard of Abraham. But how many of you have heard of Jabez? Wow. Only a few. It's kind of amazing that it's been almost 22 years now since Bruce Wilkerson's book made its debut, The Prayer of Jabez. If you want a really good read, it's a really small book. But 22 years ago, when that book came out, man, it, it was the most popular book in Christian publicity. The Prayer of Jabez, the Prayer of Jabez, the Prayer of Jabez. And Jabez isn't known for some heroic act. Do you realize there are only two verses attributed to Jabez? In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, Jabez is talked about in just two verses. He appears... And then he's gone. But I want to take a look at his prayer and the petitions. Oh, that you would bless me. And you say, well, how selfish is that? Oh, that you would bless me. What type of prayer is that, pastor? But how did the Lord teach the disciples to pray? Give us this day our... That's kind of selfish. He requested grace. And the reason I like the word to use grace, he requested grace, is because we don't deserve anything from God. 
Whatever we get from God is purely His grace, His unmerited favor. Oh, that you would bless me. What did God tell Abraham? I will bless you so you will be a blessing to all nations. And Jabez first prays, God, that you would bless me. That your favor would be upon me. And he's not, don't think in terms of money, possessions, and wealth. He was just talking in wholeness. Oh, that you would bless me. Then he prays, enlarge my territory. Enlarge my territory. Enlarge my circle of influence. Maybe the first petition, bless me, would be selfish if it wasn't for enlarge my territory. Enlarge my territory. Enlarge my circle of influence. Give me more friends. Give me more people to tell them about you. After all, for God so loved the world. Enlarge my circle of influence. That I may be a greater blessing to more people. Many years ago, Heather and I lived down in Winchester, Virginia. We lived in this little townhouse the church got for us. And down in Winchester, it was all electric heat. And each room had its own little dial. And the dial didn't have numeric numbers on it. It had low, high, and then up in the middle it had this little zone. It said comfort zone. And as long as you took the dial and you took the indicator and put it in the comfort zone, you were not too cold and you're not too hot. It was just comfortable. And you know, I think of that. A lot of us loving, live our Christian life in the comfort zone. Comfortable. Yeah, I I sit on the right, and I just know the people on the right side in the first service. Yeah, I sit on the left, and I know the people just in that service. And and really, to intermingle the left side and the right side in the early service and the second service, now you're getting me out of my comfort zone, Pastor. I just and I like my circle of friends, uh, uh, who I know in the neighborhood and who I know at work, and I don't want to expand that circle anymore because it's my comfort zone. Well, my Heather's grandmother came to visit us one time in Winchester in the winter. And she had no problem getting out of her comfort zone. She buried the needle to high in that room. I woke up in the morning, go to the bathroom, and go, man, it's awful hot in this hallway. And I go back in the morning, I said, I think your grandmother put the thing on high. And, you know, instead of having visions of sugar plums dance in my head, I had visions of the electric meter just spinning, 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 and dollar signs going around and around, and all the money it's costing me to have her here. She, I heard her... Heard the bathroom door close, so I knew she got up to go to the bathroom. I snuck out of the bedroom. I opened up the guest room, and I couldn't even see out the window for condensation on the windows. She had turned it into a steam room. I came back into my bed. I told Heather, I said, your grandmother. And and she goes, Jeff, it's only for a few days. I was having a hard time getting out of my comfort zone. And we have a hard time. Getting out of our comfort zone. But I want you to know, 
When you pray, God bless me, he blesses you so that you can be a blessing, not to just family and friends, but you can be a blessing to others outside your comfort zone. And then he prayed, let your hand be with me. Who does not need the touch of God on their life? Who does not need the guidance of God's hand on their life? Come on, I need his hand upon me. I love what Moses says. Lord, if you don't go with me, don't send me. Grace. Growth. Guidance. And then his request for godliness. And keep me from all harm. Some translations will have keep me from evil. And deliver us from evil. So that I will be free from pain. That's a little selfish there. So we'll be free from grief. Because the... The after effects, the, the conditions of evil really bring grief, the consequences. And Jabez was one, keep me from evil so that I may reflect you in all things, so I may be free from grief. You see what is petition? Grace, bless me. Enlarge my territory. Take me out of my comfort zone so I can bless others. God, help keep your hand upon me for guidance. And, and, and Lord, just let me live that godly life. And then you know how that verse closes? And God granted his request. Jeremy, you can come. You did, guys did such an awesome job, man. Appreciate you. Filling in for Pastor Bonnie being away. God granted his request. You know what that tells me? It tells me this. That it's God's will to bless you. It's God's will to take you out of your comfort zone. It's God's will to give you guidance and wisdom. For his hand to be upon you. And it's God's will. To make you godly conform you into his image. Would you bow your heads and pray?